made a big splash in the news, but what's the real story behind Homeland Security's alert on avionics? Coming up, we'll hear from business aviation experts on avionics and security. From the National Business Aviation Association, this is Flight Plan. I'm Pete Combs with your trusted source for business aviation news. The Department of Homeland Security not long ago issued a recommendation to aircraft owners that they restrict access to their aircraft. In addition, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency at DHS also suggested aircraft manufacturers review the security around a data distribution system called the CAN bus. The DHS guidance came as the result of a promotional blog post ahead of a hacking convention. However, reporting on the guidance appeared botched in the media, as evidenced by a letter to the editor of the Associated Press, which distributes news copy to media outlets all around the world. In it, NBAA president and CEO Ed Bolin pointed out several errors in the reporting, among them failure to point out the multitude of security steps already undertaken to address these concerns at airports nationwide. So let's sort out what's real and what's not with Doug Carr, NBAA's Vice President of International and Regulatory Affairs. He's coming to us from the association's headquarters in Washington. Jens Hennig is the Vice President of Operations at Gamma, the General Aviation Manufacturers Association. He's also co-chair of FAA's Aircraft Systems Information Security and Protection Working Group. Jens is speaking from Gamma's offices in Washington. And from his headquarters in our nation's capital, Rick Perry, Vice President for Industry and Government Affairs at the Aircraft Electronics Association. Rick, what's the real story behind this DHS notice? I think, first of all, you have two parts to that question. The first part is, is that what are the notices in general? And then what is contained within this specific notice? So when you look at these ICS uh, CERT alerts, it's an information tool that alerts, educates, and makes recommendations to the computer software community, just as for us in aviation, a SAIB, a Special Airworthiness Information Bulletin, issued by the FAA, is an information tool, talks about alerts, education, and makes recommendations to the aviation community. It's a valuable tool and one that should be taken seriously. However, uh, we should not fall prey to the hackers by discussing too many details about why and how their hypothesis is flawed. Now, in this particular one, it talks about a vulnerability of a component within a larger avionics system architecture, which is used in some aviation applications, but nothing deeper than that. Jens, anything to add on that? To echo what Rick said, this is one of the alert mechanisms that the Department of Homeland Security has. This is their uh, lower-level public alert functions. They have others for more involved security considerations. The alert is correct. We need to manage cybersecurity. It also very correctly provides guidance that we have a layered approach to security in aviation. This component is embedded into certain avionic systems. That means that the uh, scenario that is being discussed is not necessarily a real-world scenario. You can do it in a lab scenario but it's very hard to replicate in the aviation environment. Doug, one of the things that appears to have happened is that this story got out, was picked up by a lot of new services, but not necessarily picked up in a way that was meaningful or correct. Tell me a little bit about that, if you would. I'd agree. 
much of what was picked up was focused on sensationalism. I think we find any story dealing with aviation and airplanes crossing with security to be of significant interest for for most national and local news media. This unfortunately didn't provide a lot of context for the alert that was provided by the Department of Homeland Security and left it to the reader, I think, really to find out on their own whether or not this was of significant concern. As was mentioned earlier by Jens and by Rick, this lab scenario that was established as a baseline for the report has very little practical real world implications. As the layered approach mentioned earlier, plays a significant deterrence in separating the would-be attacker from actually gaining access to critical components of the aircraft in a way that could provide a real-world scenario for this theoretical opportunity to take place. Rick, it seemed to me that the way that this was worded in the DHS supplement was very vague to the point of perhaps inviting mistakes made in reporting this to the general public. Probably so, mostly because I think it was reported by Rapid7, uh, which is a company. Um, even if you go to their report, their report is very vague, um, doesn't go into a lot of detail. Um, and it talks about uh, the, the, the bus itself, and it talks about a specific bus, uh, a controller area network bus. Um, it's one of a half a dozen that are used in aviation. And so when you look at the alert from DHS, it, you know, rightly so told us to, to pay attention to it. But keep in mind that, you know, in, in July of 2019, we get the alert about the uh, network implementations in avionics. Interestingly enough, in July of 2017, almost an identical vulnerability in cars. And so the language of that alert is very simple. It's a one pager. And if you don't do your homework, if you don't dig into it, if you don't read Rapid 7's report, which is in, in the public domain, it's very easy to pick a few words out of that alert and kind of go off on a tangent. But I just don't see the level of concern, um, certainly a level of appropriateness to look at it, but not a safety uh, item out there. Jens, I think it might be uh, only fair to note the timing of this report, given, as Rick mentioned, it came out last month, but there was a lot going on last month. And I'm thinking in particular of a conference or two. Yeah, we, we tend to see these uh, transportation focus, be it aviation, automotive, in some cases, infrastructure uh, reports getting out there in the public realm, leading up to conferences focused on uh, cybersecurity, hacking, however you wanted to refer to it. Aviation tends to catch the national media because it's an interesting topic, but it is a little bit frustrating to see it leading up to every event. We, we know there are a lot of academics, there are IT consultants, there are researchers doing this work. Um, their announcements of their work tends to be a little bit pro provocative to get the attention that they're interested in getting leading up at their conferences. They go out and give a presentation. And uh, as manufacturers, we work with a number of these entities. We like the ones that take a responsible approach to helping us harden the different systems. We have a mature policy framework. We have a mature technology framework around this, but it would be nice to uh, spend less time on the sensationalist angles and more work on the technical side where we're engaged with the different agencies that have responsibility for this. This uh, particular bit of firmware is not particular to general aviation. Anyone want to take that up? Pete, there's a, about a half a dozen different bus methodologies and, you know, if you go back to the, the core report, this report by Rapid7, they specifically talk about 
these products that they looked at coming from the experimental aircraft community and also the ultralight general aviation community. They don't identify the products, but what that tells me is, is that they're really looking at experimental products and then with the Part 23 rewrite, possibly some of those transitional products at the very you know lower end of Part 23. Those are not the same technologies that you have in larger Part 23 aircraft and certainly not in business aircraft. The certitude, the oversight, the activity with that are distinctly different. And I don't think you can make the, the leap that says, because I found this in my experimental aircraft that, you know, my business jet's going to have the same technology. The only place this particular kind of database has been used as in-flight entertainment systems for the most part in the larger of the business jets. So just a note here that 14 CFR Part 23 is entitled Revision of Airworthiness Standards for Normal, Utility, Acrobatic, and Commuter Category Airplanes. And what it does is it removes the current prescriptive design requirements and replaces them with performance-based airworthiness standards. Yeah, I think uh, adding to what Rick said, we have many different types of bus architectures and aircraft systems. The physical security around that is really key to addressing these systems. The scenario described is not one that is taken up a lot of attention from either our regulators or the security agencies or industry. If you look at the FAA's policy framework, there's been formal policy on cybersecurity for aircraft system out. The original policy in 2014, updated based on our rulemaking committee in 2017, And the area of interest that we're spending our energy and efforts is the connected systems. If you have a direct connection to the internet or an indirect through some media that transfers data from the internet, that's where our competent regulators, FAA, European Aviation Safety Agency, other entities like that, are asking us to put our efforts and time. And in many cases, they issue specific requirements to the manufacturers that are leveraging the 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 utility that you get out of the internet connection to put specific security requirements on that. The data bus is is not the area of concern. It's elsewhere, and we're managing that in a very uh, deliberate and systematic way as part of the aircraft architecture. Doug Carr, we have never seen this threat actuated in general aviation, and there's a reason for that, yes? I think you're right, Pete. The layered defense approach that all of aviation has taken to hardening itself against external threats really is a is a major factor here why it's never been seen. Access to the aircraft, access to the sensitive areas on the avionics suites make this a very difficult vector to, to pursue. And the many different measures that the entire industry, including business aviation, has developed to harden itself, including restricted access to airports and hangars, restricted access to to the aircraft physically, knowing who's around the aircraft and why, all of these measures play a significant role why this, this particular threat represents such a minuscule opportunity for any kind of nefarious action to happen to an aircraft. Well, in fact, the TSA has done several audits regarding GA and As far as I'm aware, they have not found GA to be any kind of a security threat at this point. For this kind of activity, I would agree, Pete. There are other kinds of activities that TSA does focus on for general aviation, but when it comes to avionics, installing malware on on the aircraft, other types of more cyber-related threats to general aviation and business aviation aircraft, this is one that we likely are able to put very easily at the bottom of the list. 
Well, in fact, gentlemen, we've seen uh, a lot of measures taken to harden aircraft and airports and passengers from these sorts of electronic security threats. Can we talk a little bit in general terms about what some of these steps might be? Yeah, let me take a first stab at that, Pete. Uh, the, the most important thing that I think our operators should know about is if your aircraft has connectivity capability, you very likely have also received instructions as part of your maintenance manual or other procedure document to ensure that those security features that we have built into the aircraft, and this is something that's been done for about the past decade on specific aircraft, if you have one of these requirements, ensure that you're adhering to it. The repair station community, they have to follow these procedures, and that ensures that the aircraft is not only secure when it leaves the manufacturer, but that security as part of basically the continued airworthiness function of the aircraft is maintained long-term. And if we see any changes being made, that instruction for continued airworthiness or other procedure manual are updated as part of the requirements that the FAA or EASA has placed on the OEM, and then that gets flowed out to the operator and its maintainer. If you're an air carrier, so our uh, 135 community, you may want to specifically look at Advisory Circular 119-1 that provides good information about how to work with an aircraft that have security features that are there to harden the aircraft against uh, these types of threats. Doug, can we talk a little bit about some of the, the uh, security precautions? Let's remind ourselves what's already in place here. Certainly. There, there's been a whole host of measures that the industry has voluntarily adopted, including things like airport watch programs, hardened uh, ID checks conducted by the FAA that are doing regular checks of the pilot and airman database against known watch lists, other voluntary measures that include security procedures at general aviation facilities at airports and with operators themselves in terms of procedures that make access to the aircraft very, very difficult from a threat vector perspective. So when we take a look at the, to the totality of, of these measures from, uh, as, as Rick stated earlier, somewhat of a neighborhood watch perspective around airports to ID checks to hardening access to a variety of entry points around the airport and then making it also very difficult to even get access to the aircraft. I think we, we set out a very difficult pathway for anybody trying to do anything, anything bad to an airplane because of all these measures, which then adds value across a security spectrum for other things that may happen to airplanes. I know that advancement in technology is certainly the hallmark of business aviation. Rick, things are advancing in terms of avionics, in terms of distribution of signals throughout the aircraft. And I'm sure, and perhaps you could expound on this, but I'm sure that security is top of mind. Absolutely. And it's interesting because, you know, words mean a lot here. And we talk about threat, and the alert actually doesn't talk about a threat. So I'd like to correct us on that a little bit. What it talks about is a vulnerability of our system. No different than we have notices on our PCs and laptops and even our cell phones about software vulnerabilities. Doesn't mean there's a threat. And, you know, you're right. We're moving from, you know, over the last two or three decades, from a, an analog aircraft with steam gauges to arguably a flying computer. And as such, any computer can be hacked given enough access and time. And that's basically what a lot of this is talking about. We have to look at, as Jens is talking about, at the aircraft certification stage, there's a whole suite of elements that have to be addressed simply on the design and certification. 
And then you look at the continued airworthiness or, or the maintenance aspect of it and how these systems are there. And when you're talking about high reliability systems, systems that you see in, in large privately owned aircraft or business aircraft or even commercial aircraft, those systems have a lot of safeguards and a lot of firewalls and a lot of elements to it. And then you start getting into where the entire aircraft is managed by the computer, literally the newest generation. And again, the security that's built into those systems is night and day compared to this simple retrofit product that has generated all this angst. You know, that's a great way of looking at this. And, and I want to take a moment, Rick, and appreciate that because we talk about threats on the other side of the airport fence, but we're talking about vulnerabilities in our industry that I think your points were very well made when we talk about assessing vulnerabilities down the road. And as you say, the technology is night and day. From the gamma point of view, Jens, what do we look at in terms of assessing vulnerabilities and taking steps to mitigate them? There are well-matured industry best practices for how to do this. Uh, historically, security was managed as a subset to our system safety analysis. But over the past dozen or so years, uh, industry has started looking at security as something warning specific attention when it comes to the system design. There are standards. The Part 23 rewrite uh, that's been discussed for small airplanes includes uh, development work under ASTM to establish an industry standard for how to approach this risk analysis. Separate work has been done by two standards groups that focus more on large aircraft, RTCA and EuroK over Europe. Uh, that framework has been out now for about four or five years, and uh, that's being leveraged by manufacturers. Discrete systems, especially uh, communications devices, also have specific security requirements built in there. So we know what we're doing here. We know how to manage the vulnerabilities, Rick's term there, but also understanding where a threat vector goes into an aircraft system. We know what's permissible, and we know also know what our regulator are willing to accept with respect to how to manage those risks. Doug, is there anything that our members at NBAA need to know that we haven't quite touched upon here when it comes to analyzing threat, analyzing vulnerability, and making adjustments to the way that we do things as a result? Perhaps uh, not only some of the work that NBAA and our Security Council has done, but many others out there as well, including Gamma, AEA, and others, include industry resources. MBA's website contains a couple of security resources, security best practices, and risk analysis guides dedicated specifically to security considerations that could very well be helpful in assisting operators specifically with identifying any uh, potential security vulnerabilities, security risks, and assisting them with determining what a potential course of action could be. Rick? I think that, you know, again, this is a uniquely identified vulnerability of literally the new generation of entry-level avionics. But we have to look beyond that and understand that security is simply good business. Nothing upsets a, a customer worse than for them to come down to pick up their prize, you know, 172 and find out that their avionics was stolen over the weekend. So, you know, we're talking about a specific vulnerability here, but in the big picture of things, you know, there's some basics to this. And those basics are what Doug has been talking about. You know, you don't leave your aircraft in an accessible location. 
you want to make sure that your maintenance provider has a security program appropriate to your size and complexity of aircraft. The cheapest solution may induce an unacceptable risk. There's a lot of tools out there. Security tape is probably one of the best ones out there for overnight stops. Very easy to use. And uh, the other thing is, is that in looking at the Rapid7 report, uh, that vulnerabilities they talked about are vulnerabilities that would all have been identified in a proper full system pre-flight. And so those are important as we move into this next generation of avionics is, is that you pay attention to those and those checks. And I think most importantly, kind of what we deal with in aviation all the time, you know, if you see something, say something. And in this case, if, if something looks suspicious, make sure that you thoroughly investigate it. Yeah, staying with the uh, security policy framework, which is how I spend my day. We've talked about FAEASA. We've talked about the work by industry in the different technical forums. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Congress also. This is something that Congress does pay attention to. The direction provided both in the 2016 FAA Extension Act and last year's reauthorization bill tells the FAA to continue the work that they're doing with industry, uh, building on the 2014 policy and the rulemaking committee that existed. So uh, nobody's setting off alarm bells here. The direction from our policy leadership, from Congress and others, is just to continue to do the good work that's been underway to secure our aviation systems over the past several decades. That's Jens Hennig at the General Aviation Manufacturers Association, along with Rick Perry at the Aircraft Electronics Association and NBAA's Doug Carr. You'll find a lot more information on this issue as well as a wealth of security information at nbaa.org slash security. And that's the latest from the National Business Aviation Association. Remember, you can subscribe to all Flight Plan podcasts at Apple's iTunes website, at your favorite podcast website, or you can download them from nbaa.org. I'm Pete Combs. Thanks for listening to Flight Plan. Flight Plan.